Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. Both during and in the aftermath of our recent disaster, we've thanked, put up signs, and fed our many first responders, as well we should. However, so-called first responders come in a variety of expertise. The firefighters from Napa, firefighters from around the state, and even the world. The CHP, the National Guard, and of course, our own Napa County Sheriff's Department. That's going to be our focus right now, as it is my pleasure to be joined by Napa County Sheriff John Robertson. John, thanks so much for joining us. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thank you. It's great to have you here. First of all, uh, go back to to that Sunday night. Tell us a little bit about how you personally uh, became aware of what was starting to happen. Uh, Well, I was was just getting ready to go to bed, and I got a text that there was a— a uh, small fire out at, um, at in the Atlas Peak area and at Silverado Country Club. And what were the chain of events, what were the circumstances that happened after that? Uh, well, I can tell you, we had a couple of deputies out there. We were shutting down our command post from the Safeway uh, golf tournament, uh, and uh, they reported smelling smoke, and, and uh, they reported a small fire, and then after that, uh, four minutes later, we started getting reports of a fire over on the west side. As you know, Silverado's on the kind of the east side of the valley, right. but uh, looking out over the the uh, eastern hills there. And tell us a little bit about the way events evolve for your department when something like this starts to happen. Well, it, it's a we had nighttime staffing, and we had a couple of extra guys because we were still breaking down the the tournament. Um, and uh, they had been working uh, five days straight at that that golf tournament, and in in uh, also in in with their other shifts. Um, so what the, what happened was we investigated and we found out that the fire was of course the winds were extremely high, um, and the fire was was spreading at a rate where we were going to need to do evacuations. So we've done evacuations in the past uh, on the eastern side. Uh, Soda Canyon, Atlas Peak, and as you know, uh, a number of years ago, there was a devastating fire on Atlas Peak right. uh, that we dealt with, and uh, so they began uh, moving uh, as the fire, the rate of spread was was tremendous. There were embers uh, traveling across the golf course and across through the hills um, at at about 200 feet per second. Uh, so, just to give you an idea, that's about three football fields in 30 seconds. And uh, the winds were uh, were between 70 and 80 miles an hour with gusts up to 100 miles an hour going up the slopes. And how does the evacuation process start? Where do the guys start the work? Well, it's up to the, you know, it's up to the individual supervisor. Unfortunately, uh, you know, we had a we had a great supervisor that had a great team and and uh, he put he put uh, four deputies and we had a, we got help from Napa PD immediately. Uh, of, of two officers from the, from them, and then uh, we also called up American Canyon Police Department, which is one of our contract cities, and we immediately got uh, help from there. We uh, called into our records division and asked for help from outside the county. Uh, we got Solano County uh, came over to assist us, and uh, Contra Costa County and Fairfield Police Department. Um, so th- those, those people were on the initial, uh, probably they got there probably in about an hour and a half after everything started, but we had at that time fires on both the, uh, Eastern hillsides and, uh, the Western hillsides mm-hmm. with evacuations going on. 
and talk a little bit about how the nexus works, how the coordination works between these evacuations that that you and and your operation were handling with a focus on life safety and at the same time the further integration of CAL FIRE. So CAL FIRE uh, sends out uh, sends out trucks to uh, to basically patrol and figure out where the fire is coming from and how to attack that fire. Um, our sole purpose uh, is not the fire behavior itself, but the, is life safety. Um, so what they'll do is they'll t- we have uh, colored tape in our trunks of our vehicle, and when we ran out of that colored tape, we went to crime scene tape. And what we did was we went up and knocked on knocked on doors and got people out of those locations that were affected as soon as we could. Uh, and we would mark their mailbox uh, with the colored tape indicating that we had moved them out. Mm-hmm. Once they got out, to what extent we, did your guys continue in the area, or did they get out of there as well at that point? Well, they were they were going door to door, and and I, you know, I'm not even I'm not even going to start on the number of uh, of stories and the amount of risk and and uh, courage that that uh, these guys and gals showed that night with uh, little regard for their own lives and and uh, their sole purpose was to to get as many people out as they could and. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we did have a loss of six lives. It's tragic, but, uh, this could have been a lot worse. And with our rural, uh, rural areas and tree covered roads, as much as they are beautiful to drive around in, um, you know, the, the, the brush is thick and the tree cover is thick and people love to have their homes right in the middle of that stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's risk involved. How are your guys and gals trained to deal with people that don't want to leave? Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to tell you that uh, we wrestle people to the ground, but uh, that doesn't <laughs> happen. Uh, hopefully, they, they move on. It's, and we did have people refuse, uh, refuse to leave. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of those people's lo- people lost their lives. And are those documented and cataloged so that, that after Woods, after the event, after action, you can go back and find out what happened to those people? Well, initially, um, you know, we didn't have cell phone coverage. And uh, that might not seem like a big deal, but our, our computers, uh, where we have our mapping software and things like that, all of our in-car computers uh, did not work. Uh, cell phones, texting, none of that, uh, none of that stuff worked, and we, we had to kind of go old school. Um, dispatch, Napa Central Dispatch, did an unbelievable job, not only of coordinating and logging in addresses that they were evacuating, but also um, honestly calming uh, in a, just a professional manner, calming the first responders that were out there you know, because there, there was some emotions were running high. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a scary deal. Uh, I don't think any anybody in this department has been through anything like that before. And in terms of where people were going to go, the evacuation centers were just kind of getting started at the same time. Talk about the coordination that existed there. So uh, our emergency services, uh, emergency op- uh, office of emergency service. I'm sorry, I'm still a little tired. That's okay. Uh, our, our office of emergency services uh, immediately responded down to the emergency operations center, which is located here at the sheriff's office, 
literally with the flick of a switch, uh, they're in and they have about 40 stations with different computers, everything from logistics to care and shelter to operations. And we staff all those with county employees um, that have received training um, through the Office of Emergency Services. And uh, they, they know their roles quite well. For some of them, it was the first real incident they'd ever been on. Uh, they, there's a lot of tabletops that, that we go through during the year, but, uh, they did beautifully. And, and I, have never been involved in an incident and I, I've been through a few earthquakes and, and fires and floods and things, uh, like we all have. Um, but I've never been in an incident where the duration of the actual critical life safety was, uh, 72 hours. I mean, that was, we, we were, we were evacuating people well into the second day and uh, trying to keep people out of the area well into the third and fourth day um, because fires, fires are burning. And as a matter of fact, I mean, fires are still smoldering in the, in the root ball and in some of the trees right now. And we're going to get these little, little spot fires reported every once in a while or the smell of smoke uh, for quite a while. That's just the nature of the uh, fire. Talk a little bit about the ongoing resources that were needed that at the same time you were evacuating in keeping people from returning to evacuated areas? Well, you know, we're fortunate. In this state, we have the uh, Office of Emergency Services, and our regional partner is Alameda County Sheriff's Office, and we ask them for resources. They coordinate everything. And if we run out of resources here in Northern California in this region, then what they do is they reach out to the entire state, and then they'll go out of state. Uh, obviously, CAL FIRE, uh, they reached out of state for, for uh, task force type fire response. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about that, so I won't get into that, but I can tell you that out of Northern California, we had 38 different agencies respond to help us. I mean, these are departments with, you know, eight people in them that, that sent up two officers or two deputies or whatever uh, to assist us. Uh, these are large organizations, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to go through them all because sure. I'll leave somebody out, but obviously the sheriff's department's uh, Sonoma had their own issues going on, which, which were just huge. Um, so we didn't get a lot of resources from Sonoma, and they were also battling with us for resources. Uh, they got San Francisco PD, and we got Oakland PD, and you know Contra, Contra Costa Sheriff, Solano Sheriff uh, supported us really well. Um, Fairfield Police Department, uh, the police departments throughout the North Bay, Hillsboro, Burlingame. San Mateo County Sheriff, Redwood City, San Bruno. I mean, I could just keep going. And then, you know, for the first time in my career, um, I, uh, we received through the Office of Emergency Services, and it's a, it's a service, but of the California National Guard. We had 575 guards, uh, you know, soldiers come, uh, volunteer soldiers, which was great to have. When you saw what was going on, over in Sonoma and Santa Rosa, when you saw the way that the wildland fire had moved into an urban area, talk about what concerns you had with respect to what could happen here in Napa. Well, it, it, at one point, you know, it was it was coming down the hill. It had already, I'd already been over to uh, Silverado and and seen the devastation on the east side of uh, the Country Club area on Westgate. And I'd already seen the uh, loss of structure and unfortunate loss of life on, on Atlas Peak and Soda Canyon um, and on Westgate. Um, and I knew that the fire was moving quickly. Our fire was moving east. That presented the problem of the fires over in Sonoma County 
coming up through Lovell Valley Road, uh, Partrick again, uh, Mount Veter, uh, where we had the vet's home uh, that for a while we were trying to figure out with the state of California, how are we going to evacuate the 1,000 people at the California State Veterans Home and how long would it take us? We end, did end up moving 80 of their most critical uh, patients and uh, they were housed over at Travis Air Force Base. And, and uh, anyway, we, we were trying to deal with that and CAL FIRE was very cognizant of that. They were putting containment lines around uh, the roads surrounding the vet's home and they were going to actively fight it. Um, but we were worried uh, that it would come down into the city of Napa uh, for a little bit there. And uh, the city of Napa acted, uh, did, did a great job of getting out an advisory evacuation order, which, uh, you know, my family got and, and mm -hmm. uh, my wife loaded up, uh, loaded up the vehicle with personal items and, and faced the, the vehicle east on the street and was ready to go at a moment's notice. Talk about your own personal experience. I mean, everybody that was involved in this, it was really 24-7. There was no dealing with your own personal issues or getting home or a whole lot else. Uh, no, you're, you're right. Uh, I, 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 uh, it took me a while to write an, write an email out to our, our employees because everybody... Uh, did such an incredible job. Every single member of the department, whether they're out there sworn or they're working in the office, plus we support the emergency operations center, which brought in, you know, hundreds of people into our office that we normally don't have. Uh, we had to, you know, feed them and take care of them and uh, support them also. So um, a lot goes into it and you don't go, you don't go home for the first few days. Um, and then uh, when you do get to go home, it's, you, you sleep three hours or two hours and you get up and shower and come back to work and, and, uh, you know, you can, after, after 10, 11, 12 days, you can, you can begin to see it, <laughs> see it in the body, body language, but, uh, it was a haul. Uh, it, it was a haul, but I am so proud of the members of this County, uh, the cities and the, everybody that came to help us. Uh, it, they did such a great job and, and showed compassion and empathy for the people that, were inconvenienced or lost power, or, you know, our coroner's office had the unfortunate task of, of forensically examining some scenes. But like I said, we had 278 people unaccounted for reported uh, missing in, in the first uh, few days. And uh, currently we have uh, three people missing uh, or unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's people like, well, I haven't heard from them since 2013, but the last time I heard from them, they lived in Napa. Can you find them for me? Right. Uh, that kind of thing. It's, it's not anybody that's, you know, currently living in a residence that we're aware of. Uh, anyway. Talk a little bit about the safety and security issues with respect to the shelters, because they became almost small cities. Uh, they did, and uh, we got some help from the National Guard. Believe it or not, uh, we did a tally out there. Uh, they were staying out at the airport, and we came up with 100 Spanish speakers uh, out of the uh, 575 uh, troops out there. So we used them at the shelter. Uh, we used them at, at our roadblocks to escort people back when they could uh, to see their property or if they had an agricultural permit to get in and, and do work at the, either their winery or their vineyards. Um, and uh, it worked out really well. But at the shelters, um, you know, people... <laughs> 
this this community is, is very resilient. And uh, one thing I do notice is, you know, our crime rate drops. People are helping one another out. And you know, whether you want to believe it's our finest it's our finest time when we're in times of crisis or not, uh, it's it's heartwarming to see people helping one another. I mean, going out of their way, and you can tell by the number of in-kind donations, my gosh, mm. uh, it made the Valley Fire, you know, look, we, we, we got knocked over by the, uh, the number of in-kind donations that came in on the Valley Fire when we were supporting Lake County. And uh, this, uh, that tailed in, compares, in comparison to what we had, you know, we had 75 to 100 tractor trailers parked at the airport just loaded with supplies waiting to move into this community. They were rerouted over to Sonoma. Talk a little bit about the importance, and you were a big part of this, of getting information out to the public every day and those 9 o'clock briefings, the 4 o'clock briefings that came later, and, and a little bit about that process. So what we would do is uh, we, we, we would start with a briefing at the Emergency Operations Center at 7 a.m. every morning, and at 8 a.m. we would group uh, with the electeds and, and our congressman, our senator, uh, our assemblywoman, and uh, well, the mayors and mm-hmm. board of supervisors, and everybody would meet and we would discuss, okay, wh- what are our issues and who's going to talk about it? Um, we were led by uh, Supervisor Ramos, who's the chair of the board, and uh, she would basically lay out the, the map of how we were going to deal with, uh, with national media or worldwide media. And uh, so we would get together for the 9 o'clock uh, press conference, and that would take place in another, another room at the sheriff's office, and uh, everybody played a role. We had CHP here, uh, Office of Emergency Services, uh, California National Guard standing there with us. I mean, people stood shoulder to shoulder to accept the responsibility uh, for taking care of this community, for not only... Uh, security, but uh, providing services, and it goes right down to the local assistance centers that are set up now. Give us a little insight into how all of this on the law enforcement side was coordinated. The National Guard, you know, your department, all the other uh, various police departments around the county that participated. How was all of that coordinated? So through the Office of Emergency Services, uh, our local, you know, we have a we have our own Office of Emergency Services here at Napa County. Um, we sit down in the uh, Emergency Operations Center, and when we need more people, uh, we go through logistics section. We order it through operations, and it goes through logistics. Logistics uh, reaches out to Alameda County, and Alameda County sends out a, a uh, you know, a, a uh, email, and different departments dedicate who they can or what resources they can spare, um, and we uh, we absorb those and, and we have positions for them. So we were running our 12-hour shifts, which actually ran about 13 or 14 hours by the time we got them switched out. Um, we we were running those with about 140 law enforcement officers uh, per shift, and uh, we were covering both sides of the county, uh, and uh, we were also coordinating some some other things. But uh, anyway, it it. We have an informal, uh, it originally starts informally where we just put out a call for help and our, our local, our local uh, partners uh, respond to help us what they can. Um, Contra Costa was here right away along with Solano County. Uh, the county sheriffs do, do stick together, mm-hmm. and uh, we were fortunate to get some city police officers responding to help us as well. 
which was fantastic. Uh, but these are people just, you know, they're working their regular shift and a supervisor will say, okay, I've got, you know, eight, eight, eight people working tonight and I can spare four of them. And the, they just send them on their way. We, we feed them, we provide fuel for their cars and we provide them a, you know, a job to do a function. And, uh, we, we assign them out there. We have an operational uh, command structure, and uh, there's an incident commander and, uh, you know, they in an operations division, and they assign people to different posts or different details, whether it's patrolling, burned-out areas, or, or whatnot. So we just turned it. It was just turned back to us uh, by CAL FIRE. The, the entire situation was turned over to local fire here on Monday, and uh, last uh, – Last Friday night, they were sent back to their homes, uh, these other departments, and, and uh, boy, I, I, you know, I'm looking at a, a stack of letters here that I have to write and thank you notes and stuff from, from the community, but one of, one of the priorities I have to get to is thanking all these departments uh, that sent people, and uh, they were so key to the response to our community, and I can't thank them enough. By the second and third day, particularly the second day, when essentially there were four fires going, talk with zero containment on all four. Talk a little bit about what your biggest fears and concerns were at that point, John. Uh, you know, the, the, we were we were still evacuating people and trying to keep people out of certain areas. And people would ask us, "Hey, you know, when can we go back in our home?" And, and it depended on the weather, the wind. Um, because the fire was, it would burn back on itself for a period of time. And, you know, I'm a cop. I don't know anything <laughs> about fire. Um, I, re- I was relying on Barry Bierman, uh, our Napa County fire chief, who was also uh, a deputy. He was a deputy incident commander in this thing. And uh, Barry did a great job of communicating and letting us know. But he also, every time he talked, he said, but this could happen. And it's always a little unnerving <laughs> um, how much information you want to share with the public. Uh, but we would, you know, send police officers and evacuate a, a certain area uh, and hope uh, that that area wasn't destroyed. I mean, there were people that got to return to their communities and their communities were untouched and they, they wondered if they wasted their time. Well, I can tell you uh, at no time did we evacuate an area because we just wanted to do an evacuation. Talk about the evacuation of Calistoga, no small undertaking. Uh, so Calistoga was actually the Tubbs fire was being run out of the Sonoma County side. So it was, it was a little difficult for us on information. And we were getting a lot of our information from, uh, from Barry on Cal fire, but we were getting some of our information too, from the mayor, uh, up there, uh, Chris Canning, who would appear every morning at seven o'clock for our briefings. And, uh, and, and Chris, it, well, Cal Fire asked for the uh, the city to be evacuated because of the changing wind they, and the humidity, uh, which, you know, I'm just learning all about humidity and how it affects uh, the nature of the fire. But um, anyway, they were, they were concerned because we were going to a red flag warning and, and then it didn't occur, it, you know, which is, it's great. But then people start to question your, your tactics mm-hmm. and they want to get back in and they want to open their businesses and, and uh, so they held Calistoga uh, evacuated for a few days. We had Oakland Police Department up there, about 18 motorcycles uh, up there patrolling it uh, so that we didn't get any, you know, there was, everybody was talking about looting and things like that. We, we did not catch one person in the act 
of actually looting. We, we did have a couple of arrests where people were using false identification to get into restricted areas, and they had possession of tools that would lead us to believe that they were going in there to steal. Um, so we're going to leave that up to the DA, uh, whether they want to they wanna prosecute those cases or not. But uh, we were determined to keep the homeowners and the properties that were still intact uh, free from, from theft. Once uh, things started to get under control, there was almost as much work to do in, in letting people get back to their property and opening roads and opening neighborhoods. That was uh, almost as much work as evacuating, it seemed. Yeah, and that, it, and you know, everybody did a great job on the evacuation. The community understood it. And we had a lot of support from the community. And, and then as, as the incident went on, people would see uh, cars being escorted in and things like that and wonder, well, why can't I go in there? I'm a property owner. And um, it, part of the thing they don't understand is the media, uh, by law, uh, can return into these fire areas. I mean, there can be an active fire and media can go in there. Um, and they can report on that fire from inside. So a lot of times our escorts were to get media through um, a checkpoint, and uh, they, they did not understand that. Also, we had people from the federal government, the state government, that were going to be responsible for the recovery and also responsible for the response to this uh, disaster. And they wanted to see with their own eyes. Um, and you couldn't, because of the smoke being so thick, Normally, you can do that by air. They can take a video or uh, use their camera systems by air. We, we couldn't get an accurate picture of what was going on, and they had to do it on the ground. So when it was safe to go up the roads, but I'll tell you something, the, when PG&E and the, the county roads crew and uh, everybody get in there, and, and, of course, we were trying to establish, reestablish our cell phones and things like that, um, there's a lot of trees that are coming down. And they're still, like I said before, they're still burning, some of them, uh, or smoldering. Mm -hmm. And this winter is going to be interesting because we're going to have a lot of trees dropping. And there's a lot of power lines. When you go through mountains, your power lines, your utility lines, your cable, uh, fiber optics stuff, it's all above ground. And uh, we're going to have some interruptions of service. So I would ask people this winter, uh, if you're in an area that's susceptible to power failures and things like that, you may want to consider a generator uh, or, uh, you know, some kind of alternate plans if, because we're going to have trees coming down. We're going to have poles coming down. I mean, PG&E is doing incredible work, but they can only do so much. I mean, we have, we have decades of history up there in those mountains, and uh, there's a lot of tree limbs uh, and a lot of trees that are, going to be, that are still going to be dropping. What did we learn in terms of Technology. You touched on this before, the fact that cell phones didn't work, internet didn't work, that we lost. Is there a lesson in all of that for the next disaster? Is there an after-action discussion that will happen about that? Well, you know, we, we were real fortunate, too. Uh, um, we have uh, some new owners at our local radio station, and uh, they opened up, and they had a power generator. They had an emergency generator, and they got right on, and that was our the first 72 hours, and then, and then some. We're still doing interviews on it, but uh, we, we had people scheduled every hour to be on that radio station, getting news or information out to uh, the community, and it was a great tool, but you talk about old school, that's the way we used to do it, uh, you know, and then we would have community meetings. We've, we've had a number of community meetings. We still have a lot more to go, obviously, in the recovery phase, 
But, uh, you know, there's people that talk about, oh, you need a transistor radio and listen to AM, and, you know, it, it worked for us. Um, but it sure would have been nice if we, if we had our, our, our cell phones and had the ability to text and use our in-car computers and everything else. Mm-hmm. But what you find out is that one company, one company owns the fiber optic cable, the other cellular provider, data provider, right. they lease cable space. So it's, it's all for one. If one goes down, they both go, you know, the, the majors go down. Talk a little bit about the public health dangers. The smoke was, of course, everyone remembers how thick it was, how bad it was for a little while, and how that affected your team. Um, it, you know, it, it, it was, we did, uh, the doctor, our health doctor, uh, public health doctor, um, she would give us briefings on, you know, how to protect yourself, obviously, uh, there's a lot of hazardous materials in the ash and debris, um, and we we are, you know, we were sifting through some some scenes. So obviously, we offer our employees uh, protection when they're doing that. We did make uh, N95 masks available for everyone, uh, even the the responders from outside. We have we had thousands of them delivered. Uh, actually, somebody donated uh, like 2,500 masks, uh, which was tremendous, and so we could put those out in the field. Um, I didn't see a lot of our first responders wearing them, um, you know, for, for one reason or another. Uh, but you can't force people uh, to wear masks. You can't force the public. Right. You can't require it uh, of your employees. Uh, you can only recommend it. And uh, I would say, you know, people with respiratory issues, you know, if, if we had an issue uh, and we had, I think, two, in, two injuries, a shoulder and, and a foot, um, out of all this and, uh, which is just incredible to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I would, I would recommend if, if employees or whatever have a, a health concern or an issue, uh, that they feel respiratory in nature that they need to, you know, fill out the proper paperwork and, and let's get, let's get it documented. And finally, talk a little bit about the personal recovery from all of this. You and I were talking before we started this conversation about people are still working, people are still exhausted, and and certainly that's true for the men and women that are part of your department. Talk a little bit about the recovery period for them. What do you think it's going to take, and and what is what was the psychological element in all of that? Well, uh, you know, I can tell you from a, a personal uh, standpoint, I just left a meeting a little while ago where I I got kind of passionate, which isn't really like me. I actually, I don't, I don't even like to talk. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, uh, I can tell that uh, I'm tired. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at a few more days, uh, of, of work uh, a couple of weeks actually, but, uh, you know, where I can, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get sleep. We're, we're requiring our employees now to, to go home and try to catch up. Um, they went into some debt, you know, with their bodies, they pushed it pretty hard. And, uh, they had also been, been working, uh, a couple of weeks prior to that, uh, without a break. So this was, uh, this was about a three week run, uh, for our, for our employees. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of them, but now it's, now it's time to, uh, spend time with your family and, and, and take care of yourself. And, uh, so we're giving them those breaks. Our management team has, uh, each one of them have taken at least an afternoon off, um, but they're uh, they kind of don't want to go home until till the uh, the troops have rested, which is just phenomenal for me uh, from a leadership standpoint. I, I again I couldn't be more proud of of uh, the management team and and uh, the way they're hanging in there too. 
Napa County Sheriff John Robertson, I thank you so much for spending time and sharing some of this backstory with us. Much appreciated. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.